What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I was talking to John Wilner just a few minutes ago, and we were talking about the things in our regular lives that have been neglected because the implosion or the destruction or the demolition of the Pac-12 conference as we know it has been going on here for like a week. And uh, Wilner, we'll get to the Pac-12 stuff. We have so much to unpack. I think this is going to be a great episode. But give me an idea of what it has been like for you in the last week and, you know, just in your ecosystem. Bananas, right? I mean, Friday was an all-timer. I started working on Friday at 4 a.m. And uh, I did a uh, podcast with my buddy Brad Sesmat in Phoenix at 8 p.m. and realized I was still wearing the exact same clothes I might have eaten at that point. It was a lot like, you know, last Friday was a lot like June 30th of 2022 when USC and UCLA, when that news broke, right? You can't, you can't even breathe and worked, uh, you know, late and then all weekend. And I, mostly though, I have just been attached to the phone when I haven't been writing, when I haven't been taking care of the bare necessities around the house with, with my family just been attached to the phone like probably no time in my entire career we both have significant others who have worked who do work in the in the news business and i i find that to be incredibly helpful because when breaking news happens uh you know anna understands and she gets it and she's like hey i like she'll text me and be like hey i realize you're not going to have time to eat you're not going to have time to do like it it takes um an element of this off your plate from your personal life. And I know with you, that's the same way. I mean, you have a significant other who's in the business and, and knows the business and understands breaking news. I think that cannot be um, overstated because the garbage cans are out by the curb two days after they should be there. All the things I normally do around the house are neglected. Um, I've got a bunch of friends and family who will be texting and calling and and I'm I'm just maniacally focused on trying to find out what the hell's going on, what's going to happen next. Um, very similar to you, like um, there were there was about a 72 hour period where I didn't leave the house and I didn't know if it was sunny outside. I didn't know if it was raining. Um, I didn't know if, um, you know, I didn't I had no idea it, what was going on out in the world. And I yeah, walked yeah. out, you know, I looked out the window and I was like, gosh, it's a beautiful day out there. But it was uh, it was surreal. And and, yeah. and the news was changing. It was like there were uh, tell me if you relate to this. I had a couple of things that I would start to write or report, and within minutes, the story was pivoting and and making what I was about to report, uh, you know, less relevant and less important, or maybe even changing altogether. Oh, for sure. But that's and that's how realignment is, right? It it unfolds in the background, and then it all of a sudden bursts on the scene. You know, the important stuff. And uh, we waited thirteen months. And it finally, uh, a resolution came. And when it came, it was in, I mean, really, it was like 10 minutes on that Friday morning, right? They were set to sign that thing. And Oregon and Washington's president said no. And that was it. And it all unraveled from there. After 13 long months of really nothing, it all just hits boom. And that's kind of, that's what realignment's like. It's like, that was the same thing with USC and UCLA, right? Quiet, quiet, quiet. And then boom, 
I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. He's John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. You can get him at pac12hotline.com. I want to start with the question that's been burning on my mind. We're going to get to what happens next, what this football season's going to be like, how weird. We'll get to all of that stuff. But I kept something was bothering me all along because I kept being told by Pac-12 CEO group members and people who were in the inner sanctum all along for 10 months, I was told the same thing. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's okay. We're trending in the right direction. We're going to get a satisfactory deal. We're going to get a good deal. And and we kept seeing like Robert Robbins at Arizona pop up and Michael Crow pop up and Kirk Schultz pop up and, you know, they would move the goalposts, move the goalposts. And it was bothering me because I don't think, I don't think all those people were lying. So it was bothering me like, where is this coming from? Why do they appear so galvanized and yet they're like a bunch of cowboys in a saloon at the end with guns pointed at each other under the table? Like, what happened in that and what doesn't the public know? And so I started digging around and talked to some sources inside the Pac-12 conference, talked to members of the CEO group. We've seen some members and some ADs come go public in the last week or so, but um, began to see a picture of what was happening behind the scenes. And Wilner, I, I, I want to kick this around with you, but, you know, did Fox play a role in all this? Of course they did. Has, has college athletics lost their mind? 100%. But I wrote in depth about this and, and really just spent, I was up all night reporting, talking to sources, writing, and published this on Thursday morning, but published the account of what happened. What is this hurricane that, that the Pac-12 found itself in, you know, broken promises, bad gamesmanship, horrible leadership, blown opportunities, and George Klyovkov, the commissioner, at the center of that. Um, and what formed for me, and one person told me that, you know, as they as they went to, you know, see the actual deals of the Apple uh, package, and they were presented this $23 million a year Apple deal that required the members to take a leap of faith and sell subscriptions and you know, it was going to be risky, but it had some upside. Um, you know, I had one person say, quote, the gun was empty, end quote. Um, Apple eventually gets to $25 million, but what, what really became apparent to me is that there were horrible decisions that were made. There was an ESPN offer last fall, $30 million per school, that the presidents and chancellors basically took as an insult. Like, they didn't, they didn't read the room. They didn't understand the media landscape and the erosion and they came forth and said, you know, no, no, we want to go back to ESPN. They, they, they ordered George Klyovkov to go back to ESPN with a $50 million a year offer. ESPN didn't even counteroffer. They just walked away, went off and made a deal with the Big 12. And that kind of misfire, that kind of stupidity or arrogance was buried and rooted in this. And then you combine it with 10 months of George Klyovkov telling his presidents, a deal's coming, a deal's coming, uh, we're, we're going to get better. Uh, this is going to, you know, we'll improve this. You know, we're going to be okay in the end. The longer we wait, the better it gets. And by the time he unveils the Apple deal on that Tuesday, he's lost the room. They don't trust him. And yet he's asking him, he's asking his bosses to take a leap of faith, to bet on themselves. And this is a guy who for 10 months kept moving the goalposts. And in, by that point, I just don't think they trusted him anymore. I think there was a trust element. I think there was stupidity. I think the hiring of sports media advisors, Doug Perlman's a good consultant, but he had very limited experience in the college media rights space. Um, and and uh, they're just going to be haunted by that $30 million per school offer that came in the fall of 22 
included all the media rights, but the conference presidents said, hey, we can do better. And that's where George Klyovkov should have led. He should have turned back to them and said, look, this is a deal that keeps the conference together. It offers us security. Um, you know, let's not be hasty and turning around and trying to ask for too much because uh, the consequences of that were grave. Lot to unpack in what you just uh, what you just laid out for everybody, man. Uh, where do we start? You know, they will regret it, but you go back to that point, and the only thing on the on the map at that point is the Big Ten has signed a deal that's going to pay a billion dollars a year, right? And everybody knows it. And the the Big Twelve didn't announce its deal it was basically till Halloween, so some point late September, October, that ESPN exchange happens. The presidents are looking at drafting off the the Big Ten deal. There's no there's no other end of the spectrum. And I, I don't think I agree with you. You know, a lot of this is about leadership and about pushing the room in a direction that that is pragmatic. I just don't know that they would have accepted anything that started with a 30. Maybe they would have may, you know, could Greg Sankey have gotten it done in the same situation? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but part of what goes into that too, is that as soon as USC and UCLA left, Kliakov had to convince the, the, the presidents it was that there was a lot of value in sticking together. So on one hand in July, he's telling them, look, there's a lot of value in this conference. We should stick together. And then he's got to go back to them a month or two later and says, well, you know what? There's not that much value. So that's a tough needle for him to thread. Could he have done a better job? Obviously, uh, something had to happen different, right? Because it ended in catastrophe for the conference. But that's, you know, that was part of the, I think the the nuance of the situation was they had, they had to first be convinced that they were worth a lot of money so that they would stick together. And then they get told, well, you're not worth that much. And they're like, huh. Who says, you know, again, and it gets back to the bigger issue, the biggest issue of all, which is terrible. And we can get into this. We can do a series on it. Uh, you know, the terrible, catastrophic presidential leadership for 12, 13 years that has led the conference down this road through two commissioners, through dozens of presidents, most of them disengaged, many of them not knowing if a football is inflated or stuffed and not caring, and all the strategic mistakes that they signed off on, that they approved, rejected, everything just led to this. Uh, I don't think you could say it's all one thing. I just don't think that that's correct. It's a series of things, almost each of which starts at the very top. I remember in July of 2022 talking with Bob Thompson, who we've had on this podcast a couple of times, retired president, Fox Sports Networks. And I went back to look at the very first time I talked with Thompson, July the 3rd, 2022. I wrote a piece saying that the Pac-12 gut punch comes with a, a cost. And I had leaned on Thompson to kind of say, hey, where, what is the market now without USC and UCLA? Who's, who are the likely bidders? Who are the players? Who are not the players? And what, what is Oregon and Washington worth? And I went back and looked at that piece, and Thompson nailed it. Here are the bullet points. He said that he thought the Pac-12 TV rights without USC and UCLA were worth $300 million. That's what ESPN, in October, several months later, offered. 
Also, he said Fox was unlikely to bid on the Pac-12. He, th- he thought they were all in with the Big Ten. He did not see NBC as a player. He thought CBS might have a casual interest, but they'd rather have the Big Ten. And he thought that ESPN was the most likely entity to end up with the bulk of the Pac-12 network content. And he also said he thought Oregon and Washington were worth about $30 million each in the eyes of the Big Ten. If the Pac-12 gets real and maybe talks to some other consultants at the time, I kind of wonder if they end up in a better position. Yeah, Bob, you know, Bob knows his stuff, obviously. He, he did nail it. Uh, the, and the thing is, despite all of this, right, all of everything that went wrong, all the negative press, all the lack of movement from the Pac-12, they were ready to sign. The mountain schools and, you know, these were my two things the entire time. Three things. The longer they waited, the greater the risk. That's the deal in realignment. That nobody wanted to go to the Big 12, right? Colorado did leave, grant you that, but Colorado's got 60 years in the Big 12. The Arizona schools and and Utah went through all of this and they were still ready to sign because they didn't want to leave. The And the third piece, the greatest existential threat was always the Big 10. If the Big 10 presidents got the motivation and Fox mustered the money, the Pac-12 was going to be in deep trouble. It went 10, 11 months in which the big those two entities, Fox and the Big Ten presidents, showed no interest in you know in, in going after Oregon and Washington, and finally they did. Now, would they have gone after Oregon and Washington if if Klyukov had presented a deal in say March or April? Would the, would Fox have mustered the money then, and the presidents had been motivated then? I don't I don't know based on how Kevin Warren's continued push to the Northwest last fall was received by the big 10 campuses. I don't really think the, the presidents would have been interested in expanding, but so much time went by that they were ready. And so that was it. Those were the, that was the, that was the threat all along. And the PAC 12 couldn't get a deal done while that threat was laying dormant. I think the role of television deserves a deeper examination, you know, and probably could do a whole podcast on the role and Fox reaching into its pockets. And it kind of became evident to me in the 11th hour because I was told on the Thursday, the day before the meeting that would that basically broke up the conference. I was told on Thursday that the threat was now the Big Ten, that they had felt like they had held off the Big 12. The Arizona schools were sticking together. And I thought, you know, when that board of Arizona Board of Regents meeting broke uh, on Thursday evening, and there was no big announcement, hey, we're all leaving to the Big 12, that it was a very good sign for the Pac-12 conference. But I know Oregon was deeply conflicted overnight on Thursday. Um, Oregon was weighing the consequences. They, I think Oregon knew it was the gatekeeper. It was the linchpin. And I don't think it took that lightly. Now, ultimately, the Ducks have to do, like from a fiduciary standpoint, what is best for themselves. They, they owe that to their campus and to their athletic department. But I think they were conflicted. They were weighing the risk of the Apple deal, so to speak, going door to door selling candy bars, as Robert Robbins, the Arizona president, said. And they were weighing the upside. And I do think they were looking for Apple to come in at the 11th hour and give them a, you know, a Lionel Messi like bonus. Like, hey, Oregon, we know you're more valuable than some of the other schools. We'll cut you in at a different level or a different way. And, and you know, I also have found out and I wrote this. Uh, that I published uh, this week, I found out that Oregon had Oregon officials told the Pac-12 that they would not leave 
unless they were cut in as a full share member of the Big Ten. Now, that was met with some eye rolls because, you know, it just may have been Oregon negotiating. But, you know, I think the Pac-12 on Friday morning was sort of holding out hope that, hey, if the Big Ten doesn't cut him in as a full share member, Oregon's going to show up at that meeting. And by virtue of that, Washington's going to show up at that meeting. And Wilner, guess what? Two of the Pac-12 CEO group presidents signed the grant of rights on Thursday night. That's how eager they were to get it done. They were like, hey, everybody, you know, if you can get this done, if you've got signatory authority, get it done. And so there were a couple presidents who did get it done, I'm told. Multiple sources told me that. So on Friday morning, early Friday morning, the Big Ten Conference sweetened the pot for Oregon. They didn't cut Oregon and Washington in as full members. They're getting an average of $35 million or so from the media rights distribution in the in the first six years of the deal. But they did tell Oregon and Washington, in the subsequent deal, you'll be made a full share member. And I think that tipped it and sealed the deal. And maybe Oregon was negotiating on Friday morning. Maybe they intended all along to leave. I don't know that. I can't read their minds. But that's how it went down in the Pac-12 CEO group room. My hunch has always been since Friday that Washington was the spark. Not that Washington was going to leave without Oregon, but between those two, and this is just a hunch, the Washington was more uh, frustrated with the deal as presented last week than Oregon and was like, hey, come on, let's leave. I don't know if that's true. Uh, just kind of a gut feeling on on my end. Well, Washington uh, had an issue you- with travel expenses, too. And somebody at yeah. Oregon who was involved in the discussions told me that there was some concern on Thursday that Washington would be a, be able to afford to go. But the Big Ten allow is allowing the members to borrow against future earnings to cover travel expenses. And so I think the Big Ten was highly motivated, obviously fueled by Fox. And Fox may have got what it wanted all along. I mean, Fox benefited more from the, you know, the demolition of the Pac-12 than anybody. But it just, you know, the frustration in the room, the lack of trust. Klyovkov had not fostered a room that trusted him and that would take a bet with him. He lost credibility there. Um, and, and you got just a bad combination on a Friday and, and really sad for a lot of people, and including Oregon and Washington fans. I, I'm hearing from Oregon and Washington fans, too, who go, hey, look, I, I get it. My school did what was best for it. But I, it still sucks that, you know, you're losing the rivalry. You're losing tradition. I wish it didn't have to go this way. Yeah, no, it does suck. I mean, this, this, those are great rivalries in the Pacific Northwest, that, and we don't know what's going to come of them on a regular basis, right? But the Fox piece, I just find fascinating from a strategic standpoint, right? And I, I totally agree about the the role of the commissioner and the basic, the foundation of his strategy was dependent upon presidential patience. And that's just a terrible bet in higher education when sports are involved, because those presidents, they got people in their ears all the time. The AD, they got people in their ears all the time. And the longer you wait, and if you don't punch back against the negative publicity, it just kind of rots away at your foundation uh, of trust. And I think that's what happened. But Fox had to come up with basically $400 million if, to uh, to get the the two Northwest schools in. You know, it's it's $35 million or so each per year for six years. $400 million. That's a, that's a lot of money. 
and it certainly suits Fox strategic plans, right? Let's go back very beginning. They get the LA market. Once that happens, Fox no longer really needs the Pac-12 because they've got USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. Meanwhile, this is last fall, right? They Fox has to get the Big 12. They've got to deal with the Big 12 because that's their only connection to Texas and all those football fans in Texas, right? Because the Longhorns and Sooners are going to at the SEC, which is an ESPN property. So Fox's only play is to lock up the Big 12 to, to ensure it's got access to Texas. So it gets LA, it gains LA with USC and UCLA going to the Big 10. So there was, it needed the Big 12. It didn't need the Pac-12. And my understanding is that from multiple sources, total lowball offer, which is not going to be a surprise to anybody, certainly not a surprise to Bob Thompson. And then they come up with the $400 million, uh, needed for the Huskies and, and Ducks at this point to lock down the other big brands on the West Coast and to keep Apple out of college football, right? Because now Apple's not in it. If, if the Pac-12 had signed that deal, Apple would have had a foothold. Now, it wouldn't have had L.A., but it would have had the Pac-12, and that's not good for Fox because Fox is not a direct-to-consumer. You know, That's not a big business emphasis for them. They are traditional linear. They don't want a, a D2C coming in, so they, get, they steal Oregon and Washington, box Apple out of college football for the next however many years, and they have uh, – executed brilliantly on their strategy on multiple fronts. I'm kind of wondering if Apple's going to kick itself for not raising the guarantee to the Pac-12. Because when you run the subscription numbers, 1.7 million subscriptions or whatever they needed to make it uh, you know, highly successful, and you look at the Pac-12 Network's subscribers, and you kind of just do some conservative math there, it says, it suggests that the, the conference with a little bit of risk there could have raised the floor there to 30 million, maybe 32 million. And I'm kind of wondering if Apple in the end is going to look back and go, look, they were going to make those numbers anyway. The, the, the projections were pretty conservative. And I wonder if it kicks itself for not getting that foothold at this point, because you know what happens by the end of this Big Ten deal, um, you're going to see Fox and ESPN pivot to streaming. They may all be streaming. Who knows? Like the linear piece of this I don't think in the next negotiation in 2030 is going to be as big a deal as it is right now. No, it's not. And that was always going to be a, a tricky point for Kliakov, right? Was signing a deal that satisfied the needs now, but also was going to work for five, six years from now, <clears throat> right? When when everything has changed. So it was a, a needle he needed to thread and he didn't quite, you know, didn't quite get it done. Let me ask you a question, something that's been on my mind. And I've been thinking about it. I was not a fan of Larry Scott, the former commissioner. I did a five-part series on him. It was evident to me that he put the conference on the path to where they are today. But I look at Larry Scott, and I look at the, you know, he wasn't dumb. And he was a shrewd negotiator. And he, he was tuned in to the, the L.A. schools and their unhappiness. His son was at USC, for crying out loud, as a student when when Larry Scott was the commissioner and and Larry Scott spent time in L.A. He, unlike Pullman or Corvallis, you know, he in Tucson and other places, Larry, Larry would go to L.A. and he would stay there and he would schmooze and he would spend time at USC and UCLA. Do you think 
that if Larry Scott is still the conference commissioner, does he lose the L.A. schools? Is the Pac-12 still a thing, even though I think he was terrible for the conference in many ways? I wonder if the conference is still around if he's the commissioner. What kind of apocalyptic world are you envisioning where Larry <laughs> Scott is still the commissioner? Uh, that is not something a lot of things have crossed my mind in the last week. That That is not one of them. Oh, my goodness. But, I, can you, I but think about bit. it. The, the guy was a self-preservationist. Like He, he was not going to let the conference fall apart. And I think, think about the, the way that the CEO group pivoted. Larry Scott took advantage of... He managed the board. He was always managing up. He didn't care about the members. He didn't care about the ADs. All he did was manage those 12 presidents. Do you think if ESPN makes that offer in the fall of 22, that Larry Scott hears from his bosses, hey, we want $50 million. I kind of think he would have, A, he probably would have hired Endeavor instead of Perlman's agency, and I think he would have pushed back. I think he would have managed the room better. I still think we all would have hated him. I think his ADs would have hated him. I think there would have been a lot of problems. But I just kind of wonder, like, you know, the chess player that he was, Klyovkov comes in as a correction to Larry Scott's personality. You know, Klyovkov was collegial. He was collaborative. He went around, did the listening tour. He's very easygoing. But I think those very things ended up uh, being enemies for George Klyovkov in this negotiation. Well, certainly, you know, Realignment is is a, a knife fight, like I mentioned last week, and the Pac-12 on a lot of fronts did not seem ready for that. The urgency, lack of willingness to push back against negative publicity, you know, the m- moving the room, the the boardroom, that it certainly did not seem uh, up to the task on a lot of fronts. But man, I don't know because Larry Scott was all about Larry Scott. I know That's why they're in this. That's why they're in this position in the first I know, place. I know the guy that painted him into the position. But I kind of think if you put Larry Scott's back to the wall and you say you're not going to have a job, you're not going to exist, uh, make sure the conference stays together. I kind of think the conference stays together. But it, you know, I wish it wasn't an either or in that situation. But I think the correction to Klyovkov actually hurt the CEO group. They didn't have somebody in that room who would push back who was shrewd, who, um, you know, they had a very collegial, collaborative, you know, I'm sure when they told him, go back and ask for $50 million, he knew, he knew that 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 probably wasn't a good negotiating tactic, and yet oh, he took sure. the deal to ESPN, and I'm told that ESPN's response was, quote, unquote, goodbye, and they never really reengaged as a serious partner. Yeah. Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, it doesn't seem like, at least until until this spring or summer, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, but let's get back to May. What is I'm, I've lost the everything rolls together in no. my head. May of May of 21. And they well, Ju, uh inauguration day 2021. Right. Same day Biden's inaugurated five o'clock that day. Larry Scott announces he's stepping down or the Pac-12 announces he's stepping down. We spent, what, five months talking about and I wrote about this ad nauseum. The need to hire a commissioner who had a background in college sports, who could hear the whispers in the wind, who could anticipate the next chess moves, who could who had the relationships to get things done and to get the vital information, who just understood where college sports and college football in particular was headed. 
And what did they do? Did they hire somebody with that experience? No, they went outside again uh, with with Turnkey as their their search firm. They went outside the college sports and hired, uh, you know, the CEO of MGM Sports and Entertainment, a very accomplished businessman, obviously bright guy, likable guy. Was he the right guy for this endeavor, which was the only endeavor for them, right? This was, it was all about hiring a commissioner who was going to get the media deal done, preserve the conference, set it up for success. Did they hire the right guy for that, this job? I mean, certainly it doesn't seem like they did, right? For whatever reason, it doesn't seem like they did at all. It was a giant whiff on their part with the search and with what they prioritized in the search. And so who pays for it? the fans, the the athletes, the coaches, because this whole thing has dissolved. They completely missed with pairing the right, you know, the right person for the job with what the job was going to take. I also think, and it's yet another whiff. That's the thing. It's just one of 15 or 20 catastrophic decisions that they have made, you know, over the last 10, 12 years, starting with, the you know uh, the Pac-12 networks f- wholly owned by the schools seven seven networks all those expenses total totally overshooting their audience it's just lined up like like airplanes on the runway just sitting there waiting to take off all these strategic mistakes and you know I think that uh, under different circumstances you know Kliakov would have been the right hire but uh, clearly under these circumstances for what they needed. It doesn't seem like it just seems like they got it. They got it all wrong. Yeah, he would have been fine. He would have been fine with strong lieutenants who could help manage the room or with a consulting firm that really could push back when the presidents and chancellors were saying, hey, um, you know, this is how we view ourselves. I also think you have a problem in that room in that Oregon State had a new president. You saw a turnover at Utah. You had Oregon with three different presidents after Michael Schill left two interims and and uh, John Carl Schultz, who comes in. Um, you had a lot of people in that room that didn't know, I think, it, much of the history, didn't know much of the, uh, you know, the landscape. And it was like, I, I think they continued to have to try to update everybody. Okay, we got a new member now. Let's update, Let's figure out what's going on. And I think that caused that negotiating team that was formed by the consulting firm to, to draw the circle very close and then and just say, we will give you periodic updates. Now, periodic updates were not enough. The presidents and chancellors should have been demanding all along to know the status of the negotiation, not just an update. We want to know the numbers. Where, where are we at? Do we not? Have, because it came as a surprise to them. By the time they, you know, they Klafkov's lost the room. He unveils the Apple deal. He's asking them to have faith and take a leap. He's been asking them to have faith and take a leap for like 10 months. And by then, I think they were just kind of all rolling their eyes. Colorado just couldn't get out of the room fast enough. Arizona schools were, were right behind them. Oregon and Washington, we want to take a bet on ourselves? Do we want more of this uncertainty, or are we going to take what the Big Ten's going to offer? I don't think it becomes a tough decision at, at that point. And now you've got what do the the four schools that I feel the worst for, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, what the hell do they do? You know, you dove into some of this. What happens with that group of four? Four board members left in the room. And they're, you know, I'm sure they're not looking to George Kliofkov for the answer here, but what happens, Wilner? What's going on in that room? 
Uh, there's a lot of talking among the four schools. I don't know how much engagement there is with the the conference office at all. And and speaking of engagement, you know what you said about how the the presidents, you know, were kind of content just getting very uh, superficial updates and kind of not being engaged. But that is typical of them. They have been disengaged for 12 years, which is why they're in this whole problem. I mean, it's the last 13 months encapsulate the last 13 years with at the at the presidential level. Right. It's just oh, my God, it's just so, so just such horrendous leadership. So what's happening now is there, you know, I think Oregon State and Washington State are in a little bit of a holding pattern here. They're waiting to see if Cal and Stanford are going to leave. They're, those schools are are desperately trying to get in the ACC and the Big Ten. I think what they'd love is an offer from the ACC that they could then take to the Big Ten and say, you want us or not. Uh, and if they if they don't uh, get in either of those conferences, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that they will uh, try to reform the league with with the Beavers and Cougars. And you start with the Pac-4 and then you begin adding schools uh, for next season and for 2025. There's a lot of pieces that are unknown, right? The, how much money they've got to to uh, brandish, you know, to get other schools in. Who Who is going to lead the media rights negotiations? What kind of deal could they get? Uh, what are the liabilities? You know, can they made somehow maintain their autonomy five status, which I am skeptical of? Yeah, there's uh, a thousand things they've got to answer, but none of none of the answers are coming until uh, we know if Stanford and Cal are, are sticking around or not. All right, for, and on I the would imagine that's five what, status I'm gonna, part. I did ask some um, questions, imagine, and a, I did poke a week around or two, on but. It, it basically, for people who don't know, that's the Power 5 status, the Autonomy 5 status. It gets you automatic bids in the NCAA tournament. It gets you some extra college football playoff revenues. And, uh, of course, by NCAA standards, you have to have a minimum of six members. But, um, I, you know, what the group, the council that decides if you are a A5 school or A5 conference is comprised of the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and formerly the Pac-12. And so uh, in order to have the A5 status stripped from the Pac-12, you'd have to have three of the other four members vote that it should be stripped. Now, there's some, there's some, there's some scuttlebutt out there about this because the Big Ten's got some blood on its hands. And the SEC has been preaching, Greg Sankey's been preaching, the ecosystem's important. He, uh, you know, he's come, comes forth in the wake of this and talks about, you know, he didn't see eye to eye with Kevin Warren and what he wanted to do with the Big Ten. And you have Jim Phillips, the ACC, that may find itself in a Pac-12 situation here in a couple years. So there is some sentiment that if you could keep Cal and Stanford and Oregon State and Washington State together, because the argument is, hey, they were worthy of, uh, you know, a a five uh, a five status, you know, yesterday. Why are they not worthy today? And you can add two members that don't significantly dilute you. You could at least go into that room and make the argument that, hey, uh, we're good for the ecosystem. We're trying to fight our way back. Um, you know, this is the landscape of the new world. You know, don't totally go Mad Max on us. Now, I think the Big 12 probably would have no problem just saying, hey, nope, we want the extra bids, whatnot. And, 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 and they all may do that in the end. But I think that, you know, that sentiment is coming out of, out of your footprint in the Bay Area that a couple of the reporters who have talked with Cal and Stanford believe that Cal and Stanford want to be power five or bust. 
that they're not willing to go to the Mountain West Conference or not willing to have a full-blown merger. And that is, you know, if they don't, if the ACC has no appetite for expansion and the Big Ten's waiting, I think the best short-term solution for the Bay Area schools is to say, look, let's try to make a go of this, see if we can cling on to the uh, autonomous five status, create a, a new little Power Five conference, and maybe the Big Ten, when it does have an appetite for expansion, grab Stanford and Cal. I mean, is that a feasible plan A in your mind or B or C? Where is it on the on the uh, sort of decision tree? Yeah, no, I think it's very feasible. Certainly the Big Ten, you got to wonder about, you know, I'm sure the Big Ten's general counsels are going to be worried about antitrust issues because clearly they have, the Big Ten has got the the power to manipulate the market. They just, it just detonated the Pac-12. So the legal aspect of defining autonomy five conferences moving forward will certainly be something that we, you know, we should pay attention to. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I don't think Stanford will ever in 10 million years, I mean, Los Angeles and San Francisco will be next to each other thanks to tectonic movement before Stanford (laughs) would agree to go in the Mountain West with San Jose State. There, I just said it. It's not happening. That is no, I'm not trying to disparage San Jose State at all. Stanford's not doing it. Uh, And I don't think Cal is either. They are not going to enter that conference. They're not going to merge with that conference. If they if they are sticking around, it's to reform the Pac-12. They try to get a few schools from the American. They try to get a few schools from the Mountain West and they move forward like that. The other piece to keep in mind is, you know, for antitrust purposes. Well, I think the you know, the play, the way the playoff format is set up right now uh, for the first couple of years is the top six ranked conference champions uh, get automatic bids. Right. There's five power five conferences and there's there's six automatic slots. That one extra is for the group of five so that they can. So there's no antitrust issues. Right. And no collusion. Well, my guess is they're going to redo the playoff selection process because the Big Ten and the SEC are going to want to. And what they're going to do is they're going to cut from six AQ spots to five AQ spots. There'll be four power conferences, Big Ten, SEC, ACC, Big 12. Four power conferences, but five AQ spots, again, because they want to avoid any kind of legal challenge. So that last spot, if the Pac-12 reforms, the winner of the Pac-12 is going to have a heck of a chance of getting in to the playoff through that AQ spot. That's just something I'm not trying to diminish what's going on here with the, for these four schools, but that's just from the playoff standpoint, there there probably would be uh, access, rel- you know, reasonable access into the playoff for the champion of a reformed Pac-12 because of that extra slot that, that they, they need to hold open for the group of five. Does the reformed Pac-12 get a deal with a linear provider or does Apple come in and go, Hey, we will give you 10 million a year. Um, you know, knowing it's a stepping stone to the future. And, and, you know, I reached out to San Diego state. I reached out to SMU. I like you, I've been talking to people and I, that I'm getting the same message back from both San Diego state and SMU. I still think if they had an option to join Stanford, Cal, Oregon state, Washington state, if it could happen with the buyouts, I think SMU would strongly consider it, and I think uh, San Diego State probably is already peaking in that direction. Um, I also think there's a little bit of resistance, not a lot, inside the Mountain West Conference. 
as it pertains especially to Oregon State, because there are some concerns that Oregon State doesn't bring huge media value, but brings a football program that would probably dominate 2024, 2025, would be a real problem for the teams that usually play at the top of that conference who are probably going, hey, are we getting more money here? And we're taking on a team that is, you know, and, and I, ca- I talked to just a couple of ADs in the Mountain West. They didn't think it would be a deal breaker, but it is a topic of conversation there because, I, you know, for fans who are wondering, what happens to your program? Do they fall off the face of the earth? At Washington State and Oregon State, Stanford and Cal, I don't think they do. I think it the calculus just shifts a little bit, as you were pointing out there. So you're saying that the Oregon State could have trouble getting into the Mountain West because they're too good. I just I think what I did here. I, I mean, just that whole thing. I just love that theme. I I, I think is yeah. tremendous. The I just Beavers think, are too good. Well, they're too good and don't don't significantly increase the conference's right. media value. You know, because you're not adding, you're adding Corvallis by by extension. You get, you know, you get the Portland market, 1.1 million TV homes, but you're not gonna, you know, your your TV partner's not gonna come in and go, okay, you were getting five million, now you're getting ten. They're gonna come in and and sweeten it a little bit, maybe. But I don't think it keeps the Beavers out. I'm just saying it was discussed, and the ads in the Mountain West Conference are talking about it. And I pushed a couple of them that compete at the top of that conference, and I said, is that a deal breaker? Does Oregon State have a problem here? Like, do they not have somewhere to go? And they said, no, it's not coming to that. But I don't think there are, are a few teams, and I mean they're easy to identify, at the top of that conference that have have routinely been there and probably view the new expanded playoff as their big opportunity. They're going, hey, wait a minute. Like, do we take this program in that is going to kick our teeth in? I mean, the, the smart... Th- 30,000 foot view is to take them in because there's strength in numbers and the more good schools you get, the better. Uh, The other interesting piece is that the Fox CBS deal goes, runs through the 2025, 26 college sports season. And so let's say the PAC 12, uh, you know, holds together and reforms and takes a couple of schools from the American, you know, SMU Tulane, I think probably Rice and Memphis are all like on that on that radar. Uh, but and they also take try to get the the top teams, top three or four teams from the Mountain West. I mean, it's not a bad football league, but also if you're Fox or CBS, you you probably want the the reformed Pac-12 and not the Mountain West. So that's a that's another, you know piece to this whole broader strategy of what's going to happen in the next few years. Is is the Fox CBS contract with the Mountain West, and what you know? What could a reform Pac-12 do to that? And thereby, what would it do to say, you know, the Mountain West has got what uh, twelve football playing members? You know, the bottom eight could be in trouble. Pac-12 reforms with the top tier of the Mountain West. The the bottom tier could be in big trouble. It's like I, I talked with Pat Chun, the Washington State AD, on my radio show, and. He basically just, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically just said, hey, there's a lot of what ifs right now. And and I think the the interesting thing is I do think they want this settled before they kick off the football season, not to set the goalposts up again. But I, I think they need some clarity on, you know, are they sticking together, moving forward? And what happens to the emergency funds that the four, the four remaining presidents of the four schools that are still technically going to be Pac-12 members? Do they take the emergency fund? Can they take the emergency fund? Can they take, quote-unquote, expenses and damages 
from the revenue that's coming in from the TV contract. You know, they're supposed to split it all equally. There's some questions out there. And could they use that money to pay a buyout for somebody like San Diego State? Or would SMU's donors be so motivated to get SMU into something resembling a Power 5 conference that would SMU create some cash flow? Like, there's a lot of what-ifs here that are going to be determined in the next couple of weeks. Yep. Oh, for sure. And, you know, the Pac-12 ended the 2022 fiscal year with about $43 million in emergency reserves. Well, $43 million in, in assets. I don't know exactly how much of that is in the emergency reserve fund. They had a bunch of money in there and they used some of it to offset the, you know, COVID expenses, you know, because of lost revenue. So I am not sure. And and they may have dipped in. I think they dipped into the emergency reserves to deal with, uh, you know, the production facility in the East Bay once they shut down San Francisco offices and the Comcast deal. Right. I don't know how much is left in the emergency reserves, but there's some money there that could be used. They're going to get a ton of money in NCAA tournament units if they stick around because the eight teams that are leaving don't take their units with them. So I calculated it out. You know, it's many millions of dollars will be left behind by those eight schools from from NCAA uh, units. So they could very well have a bunch of money to play around with either to support themselves uh, initially or to lure other schools in. Uh, It's just going to be a matter of whether they can find, you know, a linear or streaming partner to provide basically a foundation from there from for them to rebuild because nobody's going to come join without some kind of you know assurances that there's going to be an actual tv deal so that you know they gotta they also have to find we should talk about this at either today or another time they got to figure out who's going to lead the negotiations to find a new media deal if these four schools stick together it's a great point and, and a lot to be unpacked here. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. He's the great John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. Uh, you can get him at pac12hotline.com. Um, Wilner, let's come back with another episode. And as this develops, I don't know if we're going to wait a day or a week or three days, but as we have news, we will post podcast episodes. And uh, I appreciate everybody who's listening to this, everybody who subscribes. Make sure you subscribe. You should. It's free. Just hit that subscribe button. Make sure that you get alerted every time we post a a new episode. I don't know how many listeners we have in Hawaii, but our hearts go out to everyone affected by the wildfires uh, on Maui. Uh, Please be safe uh, and best of luck to everyone there. Hawaii, Maui, one of the great places in the world, some of the nicest people in the world. And we are certainly just heartbroken at what has happened to Lahaina and the area. All, All of our best to you. He is the great John Canzano, johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner, pac12hotline.com at the Bay Area News Group. And thanks everybody for all your support and for listening.